0: All right, welcome to Jed Banger's Ball. I'm your host, Jed. Of course, it wouldn't be Jed Banger's Ball without Jed. It'd be Banger's Ball. Something like that. Today on the show, we have Justin Gage, mastermind behind the world-famous music blog, Aquarium Drunkard. He's also a music supervisor. He also has his own show on Sirius XM Radio. Check it out. I believe it's Channel 35. We'll look into that. I'll have my producer look into that. And he also runs the record label Autumn Tone. Home to bands, the Orwells, Twins Peaks, Josh Tillman. Before he was Father John Misty, he was Josh Tillman. And then he was a symbol, and then he was a. No, that's Prince. Anyways, Justin Gage is on the show today. We're happy to have him here, and we're happy to have you listening. See you later. So my fucking morning was, uh, the first thing I got this morning was a tweet Mm. that our new video for our 7-inch had been posted up on Noisy, uh, yet, even though I hadn't made the video live on YouTube, Ah. and that they had assured us that that it was going to be posted next week. Okay. So then I got to run around all morning long on email and on the phone with the with the label guy, trying to figure out who to talk to to get them to take it down. Um, because the guy who had written the piece was in Australia, so now it's 2 a.m. there. Okay. And trying to get him to take something off the Internet that's now going out to a bunch of people, even though you can't actually physically find it.
1: Okay, so the video is private <laughs> right now. It's not live. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah.
0: yeah. Perfect. Have you ever? You've been doing this for ten years now, yeah. as a, as a blog, as a music blog. Right. I mean, what's it like? I mean, what's it li- been like for ten years? You're celebrating ten years now. I mean, how, how how does this come about? Like, how did you start this blog?
1: Well, yeah, this is 2005, which in internet years is I don't know eighty. Is it like dog years? I don't know.
0: Uh, I mean, today it felt like. A million years. Right. I, I felt like I was dying a million deaths. Yeah. I think I. I think at one point I texted him and was like, "Dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a heart attack," and then and then realizing later that like I'm gonna have a heart attack over a YouTube video. The internet. <laughs> yeah. No. It's it's uh it's ten years, but it
1: started out just, uh, man, a whim. And you know, in 2005, blogs weren't even really a thing yet. Political blogs were kind of big, but. Um, as far as like a music blog, there weren't that many. Right. So, yeah, when AD started, there were, I don't know, man, I could probably list like 10 and that was it. So I think I definitely uh, benefited from that because there just weren't that many out there.
0: And and, 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 Aquarium Drunkard, like how did, like, where did the name come from for that?
1: The name was totally random too. Uh, someone had sent me a CDR like this is before, you know, really massive file sharing or anything. Right. Um, Obviously, there was Napster and all that, but somebody had sent me a CDR, and it was uh, demo versions of that Wilco record, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, and I had it playing on the stereo, and I thought, oh, I'll set up this blog just to keep in touch with friends that moved around the country, or around the globe, um, instead of doing big email chains, so I was setting it up, and it was Blogspot. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, (laughs) owned by Google now, I think. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it asked, what do you want to call this thing? And I had these these demos in the background, and uh, Jeff Tweedy sang that line about an American aquarium drinker. So it was literally, I heard that, and I just typed in aquariumdrunkard.blogspot, and, uh, yeah, that was it. And, you know, obviously people then thought I was some kind of Wilco obsessive or something.
0: Right, it's and, like a, uh, became yeah. a Wilco fan right. page.
1: Right, yeah, and, you know, I do like that band, but, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I started getting really strange emails from... Uh, true Wilco obsessives. But yes, the name was a total fluke.
0: So it goes up there and and, and what are you thinking at that point? You're thinking just like, I'm going to just post music that I like, when I like it, when I have time. Yeah, I mean, if
1: you were to really dig deep down in the archives, uh, there. I mean, it was random. Like I was posting uh, like my favorite like gumbo recipes and, you know, like uh, weird dive bars in LA that I would find. It was just, just shit that I was into. Um, but it gradually just became music, and I found some other kind of like-minded music weirdos doing blogs, and decided that would be the sole focus of it. Um, but yeah, it's it's always just been, you know, whatever I am particularly listening to at the time.
0: Were you were you worried at all about like posting up uh, some music for download that wasn't maybe uh, approved? Or because I remember at that time when I started. First looking at music blogs. I was looking at like all these like obscure seventies, sixties psych rock kind of blogs, like right. Crisco's Rock. There was a thing called Crotch Bat. These oh, were all yeah. blog remember, spots. Yeah. And what they were were people putting up uh rips of like vinyl usually right. or whatever. And you could download them and then you could Have access to all this like super rare vinyl. Sure. Or in digital form. But, you know, they're also doing it, I guess, illegally in theory.
1: Yeah, and most of that stuff, you know, had been out of print for years. Sure. So it was kind of like this nebulous territory of, uh, you know, yeah, sure, they don't own the copyright, but this stuff had been out of print. There was nowhere to hear it. A lot of this stuff had never been on CD. Exactly. Um, But we've never been, I guess back then you would call that a full album. Download blog?
0: I used to just type in uh, the name of a band and like full album and blog spot. Right. And I could find the file. Yeah. And then you could sign up for something where you could download multiple files at once. And I would be working at my desk job with like 30 albums downloading at once.
1: Right. Over over their network, which is probably 10 times faster than the the network you get at home back then. Yeah, Yeah,
0: and also just like... Of shit that nobody cared about, you know, right. like. So that's what I'm wondering. Like, were you were you worried about that, or were you thinking about that, or was that even?
1: Back then, I was. Again, we were never posting full albums, and most of the stuff that I was posting was, like you said, pretty obscure, and it would only be, you know, a couple of tracks. You know, we weren't posting the, the Beatles or anything. Sure. Um, so, should I can probably count on two hands the amount of times people have actually hit me up, like, hey, can you please take this down? Um, the one that really comes to mind is I found this, and this is probably eight years ago, I found, um, it was a bootleg. It was called the Lost Gaucho Tapes. So it was Steely Dan's Steely last Dan. albums. And th- this was the uh, a bunch of alternate versions and or tracks that never made the studio album. And, you know, they didn't leave a lot on the floor. So right. this, when I found this, I was just... You know, you know, it was like mecca.
0: Someone sent this to you, or somebody sent this to me. Right. I, I used to get
1: readers that would send me packages in the mail of uh, you know records of you know strange origin or live stuff or whatever. And somebody had sent a CDR of this to me, and um, I listened to it over and over. And I did a feature on it, and I had a link uh, to this, and it wasn't hosted by Aquarium Drunkard, but it was a place where you could find it. And the label attorneys did hit me up and. Where did you find this? Uh, we need a copy of this. Please Send, send us in the CDR. And you know, I was hoping maybe they would actually release that in some sort of you know, official capacity. Right. But uh, not yet. But I did see the Dan last week here in L.A. <laughs> but, <laughs>
0: I think I saw you seeing the Dan yeah. on Instagram. Yeah. And no, then never miss it. Brian McPherson tweeted uh, that, uh, uh, our friend Brian McPherson tweeted that uh, Steely Dan was his Grateful Dead.
1: What are your thoughts on the Dan? Because it seems like people either absolutely love them, like me, or they despise them.
0: Well, I tweeted back to him that Ween was my Grateful Dead. I like that. And then he said that Wire was his Ween. And then by that point, I was pretty stoned. And I was like, I don't even know what this means anymore. Like, <laughs> like all hail Boognish. <laughs> <laughs> What's my thought on Steely Dan? Yeah. I love Steely Dan. But I'm not, like, I'm not a completist with any bands, really.
1: Right. <clears throat>
0: I like what I like. And I like Steely Dan in that uh, I like Pretzel Logic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I like probably if I was going to put on a Steely Dan thing, I'd probably put on like a "Can't Buy a Thrill" or yeah. or some sort of collection, right? As opposed to like really just sitting the there single and, LP. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I guess I'm not. I'm like kind of a greatest hits guy when it comes right. to, with Steely Dan.
1: I've I always thought they were just so. Uh, I don't know kind of misunderstood by the masses like people think it's just this yacht rock but then you listen to like Fagan's lyric and Rye delivering, and you're like this is a twisted fuck you know it's just
0: well they're 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 fascinating to me as far as the the story of the band and like when i read about they're a band that i like to read about right and they're a band i love to listen to too but uh i i do like the the story of them and i like that uh, they got they wrote. I don't know if they did this for sure, but that did you see that the letter they wrote to Luke Wilson about how yeah. pissed off they were at Owen Wilson, right, for ripping off their, their idea? Yeah. You mean Dupree? Right. I love that. I love. Uh, I love reading like the stories about them, like recording records and things like that, and just and just what weird personalities were they were, and that they stopped touring, and you know, perfectionist. They're perfectionists, and they're they're very honest with. Uh, themselves as far as like they're not going to go out and give you a shitty show if they think it's going to be crappy right there you know what i mean
1: yeah absolutely like this i've seen them i've never seen them six or seven times because you know as you mentioned they just didn't tour forever right um and i think and i was talking to a friend of mine i think seeing them at the bowl last week was the best time i'd ever seen them Right, which is saying something. I mean, these guys are. Really what other high, band
0: could you say that five
1: about? Five decades into their career, or whatever it is. Sure. So,
0: I mean, you go, you go and see anybody like that now, and you're just kind of happy to see them.
1: Sure. It's you. Go, you go diminishing in with, returns. You go in with yeah. low expectations. Right.
0: So to say that you saw Steely Dan recently and and it was the best show you've ever seen it, yeah, is pretty incredible.
1: It's high praise.
0: If you go back and look at them on like. Uh, Bert Sugarman's Midnight Special, though that that shit's pretty fucking killer.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's great. They look
0: amazing. Yeah, they got a good look. Yeah, what I like about them, and they just rip. I'll say this: not the most
1: attractive band. In the no, world. no, that's what I mean. Yeah, they have a great they, look. Yeah, they were just a bunch of freaks. They're
0: not the most unattractive band.
1: <laughs> True.
0: That uh, that uh, award um, goes to uh, oh fuck what's the, what's that band called oh Atlanta Rhythm.
1: The Atlanta Rhythm Section. Atlanta
0: Rhythm Section is the most unattractive band. Um, they have a, a bass player named Paul Goddard who was known as The Blob. Jesus. <laughs> and if you <laughs> Google image search Paul Goddard of Atlanta Rhythm Section, you'll know what we're talking about. I actually learned that on WFMU one time they were talking about, they had a, they had a call-in contest to see what the most unattractive band was. And, it, and I think it came down to either Kiss Without Makeup Oh, that's a good one. Or uh, Atlanta in Atlanta Rhythm Section one because of Paul, Paul Goddard himself swung the competition.
1: What was their hit? Was it Champagne Jam? <laughs> it champagne
0: like that. Jam. Yeah, I think just a that. great title. I went out and bought an Atlanta Rhythm Section record just so I could have a photo of Paul Goddard on the back of it. He looks sort of like a uh, oh a mixture of Rocky Dennis in the Mask and Tiny Tim. Wow. Right? Yeah. So yeah. you must he must be an amazing bass player. Yeah, he's got to be. Cuz I think even back then it was more important about like, you know, you see these ads these ads only exist in LA really, but if you look at the like Craigslist wanted musician ads, you know. I think most places if you go to like a Seattle or a Portland, it's kind of like, you know, hey, this is what kind of music we like. Right. Why don't you come down and jam in in LA? It's like 18 to 21 under 150 pounds, pro gear, pro attitude—you know, like right. it's very specific. You know, so like Paul Goddard probably would have a really hard time uh, being in the in a band in L.A. right now.
1: And that's why he was from the dirty south.
0: E- exactly. You yeah. <clears throat> so where were we?
1: <laughs> I think we were talking about Ween. I don't know.
0: What do you think about Ween? Because I could talk oh, about Ween oh as God. well.
1: Oh God, I love love. Love Ween. All right, favorite Ween record, go.
0: Uh, I guess record shit. I mean, I guess the pod because I... I it's mine too. Yeah, I, well, I I, but I think that, that, you know, Pure Guava was kind of the one that I heard first. The Gateway. Yeah, yeah. and that one, that one was like the first one I heard, but the pod was the first one I heard stoned. Yep. And I think that's why. And the songs on the pod that rock, like Dr. Rock... Uh, <laughs> when you hear them played live, faster and heavier, it's like it's like more in line with what I like, which is right. like heavy metal and punk rock music and stuff like that. You know. Then,
1: and I love the fact that people, you know, again, will think they're a joke band or something. And then you see them live, and you're like, no.
0: I saw them. I've seen them live a lot of times, uh, and I saw them live two times in a row in two nights, and they played... Each concert was five hours long, and I left at, like, hour four both nights while the drummer was just... While the drummer was doing an incredible version of Hot for Teacher.
1: Amazing. (laughs) Amazing.
0: (laughs) And the other thing... And they had the uh, keyboard player from, like, Earth, Wind, and Fire (laughs) as their keyboard. Like, much older guy in the band. Uh, And also the bass player had this shirt that was like a, tr- he was a really skinny guy, triple XL shirt, orange with like, it looked like a homemade, uh, s- a homemade Moo with a screen print of just like a dog's face on it. That, <laughs> like some morbidly obese woman had made of her own dog. Wow. Yeah.
1: I like it. So I, mean, it, I, I listened to chocolate and cheese last week.
0: Yeah. I, li- I mean, I like all the wean yeah. stuff pretty much. Um, and I do like that, uh, God, that song, uh, oh, man, that, that some of that uh, stuff that they released like in between like labels or whatever uh, around the time of that white pepper stuff uh-huh. was really weird too. They were just like, and that commercial they did for uh, Pizza, Hut. Pizza Hut, yeah, where he's just like, where's the motherfucking cheese at? Where's the motherfucking cheese at? So, Aquarium Drunkard. Yes. So, at what point did you... <laughs> Winding back here. Right. At what point did you decide, like, or or did you know that, like, okay, now I got to keep fucking updating this fucking thing because I can't just like you know put gumbo recipes up there whenever right. I feel like it, you know?
1: Uh, honestly, it was almost like this obsessive compulsive thing. Like I was just doing it nonstop. Uh and I loved it. It, w- but it was really just it was like you write I- all the entries, right? No, no. Well, back then I did. Yeah. But uh, it's a 2008. I brought on uh, Josh Neese, who was the first uh, contributor besides myself. But from 2005 until then, um, it was all me. And it was almost kind of like this just, uh, I don't know, I was almost like I was just vomiting this content.
0: And you're just putting up there the, like what you were listening to at the time and enjoying and thinking like, wow, this is what I like. I might as well just share it. Or, the- Yeah, that or,
1: you know, I was just going through my own records and – I don't know, live shows or whatever. Just like, I'd collected over the past thirty years, and I don't know just writing about you know that stuff.
0: Did you were you trading like tapes and stuff of live shows and stuff like that with people?
1: Yeah, uh, I loved the Grateful Dead, and that was something that I've this is, man this is back in the day, but yeah, like tape trading, like right? That kind of thing. Um,
0: because this is kind of like what you're doing now. You're basically right. continuing this. Uh, there is a, a hobby yeah, or whatever, sure. or whatever you want to call it. Right. The idea of like people used to trade tapes through the mail, and like people would put fucking ads in like sure. Rolling Stone back in the day that said, like, I have all this shit. Like, what do you have? Let's trade it.
1: And the way and I was discussing this with a buddy the other day, um, but back then on Aquarium Drunkard and lots of sites, the comment sections were really robust. So I would write about something, and then the comment section would be you know, 30, 50, 100 deep. And I would end up learning about things from the commenters who would be like, oh, you wrote about this, you should check out X, Y, and Z. Or they would leave a link to download it or whatnot. Um, And because of social media, that is not the case anymore.
0: Explain that, because I'm confused. Because because now I look at stuff and I don't see any comments or anything except for like just at some point it's like, fuck Obama. There's there's
1: no comments anymore. Yeah. It's just racist comments. We can drop, you know, one of the best entries ever on aquarium drunkard and there'll be maybe two comments. Um, and I think a lot of that conversation has moved to Twitter and Facebook or Instagram or whatever else, because you're also sharing, uh, That same content there. And that's where the, the discussion goes. but, Um, Yeah, back then the comment sections were really robust and it felt more kind of like uh, a community, kind of like tape trading or like in college I was a clerk at this record store and, you know, you would have the the constant customers that would come in, the repeat customers and you'd have a a dialogue with them about talking about records and stuff and that's something that I really did enjoy and I liked having that community um, on AquariumDrunker.com proper. And now it has moved to Facebook or whatever, or Twitter, but it's harder to kind of... Keep up with it compared to back then when it was all within the the context of the you know the post.
0: So do you have a way of sort of like judging like you can keep track though of like who's looking at it and you know like you know what's going on with it though, but it's just not as like much of a dialogue. Sure, yeah,
1: I mean you I I can keep track of all the metrics and where people are coming in from around the world, but yeah, back then it was you know within the context of whatever the post, the comments section would turn into its own little universe which i thought was really cool.
0: Yeah. You mentioned working in a record store. What record store was it?
1: This was in Athens, Georgia. Is that where you're from? Uh I'm from Atlanta but I went to college okay. in Athens. Uh it was called Backtracks. And it's gone now. It was downtown. Huh. There used to be a lot of record stores downtown in Athens, but
0: you know. I have never been there. <laughs> to Athens? Yeah, good town. I've been there. I've, to I've heard of, I know a lot of people from there and yeah. I've, yeah I've always heard it's like a really good music town but Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so when did you get out to LA then?
1: Uh, Two thousand
0: one. Okay. So, and, and yeah, why'd you come out here?
1: I grew up in the South, and just to you know, change. change. Yeah, you need to, you need a change, and this was pretty far away.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So, and then and then what were you doing though for work and stuff before you before this?
1: Uh, my first gig out of college, I was working with this dot com in Atlanta, um, and I was their music editor, and it's a company where the. Uh, the mechanics behind it actually ended up becoming ask.com, ask Jeeves. You remember that search <laughs> engine? But
0: How could I forget?
1: Back then we were doing something different. So uh, that folded during the .dot .com, uh, just dust up in, in the early 2000s. Then I worked for AOL Digital City in Atlanta, and I was their music editor. And then I moved to California, and I was trying to find uh, something else to do, and I was working in this uh, totally different arena. Um, like a more corporate thing and figured out that was not for me. And, uh, yeah, when Aquarium Drunkers started in 2005, I just started doing, like, a lot of freelance work.
0: So at what point do you get to where you're like, okay, I'm now shifting from, like, posting stuff that I like to now I'm kind of running this as a business almost, and now I'm getting people pitching me shit from record labels, music, and things that they want me to put up there and promote
1: well here's the thing it's never changed
0: it's never changed it's
1: never changed like i'm doing the exact same thing 10 years later that i was doing then. It's right. just the audience has grown right um
0: because i was looking through it today just to just to bone up on it sure. again <laughs> right. and, and i was like and i was noticing i was just like man it, it does look exactly the same as when i w- looked at it the last time right and so, so it's still just you, and you have a yeah, another we, we, employee, or we
1: have we have contributors. It's a small handful of guys that, right? Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, sure now we have access to you know we'll we'll interview uh, Merle Haggard or Chris Christopherson or Will Oldham or Jeff Bridges. But so those opportunities weren't there a decade ago, sure. But again, these are people that still fall in the orbit of uh, of kind of the the spirit. Of AD, I guess.
0: So, how do you guys collectively just then decide like what's going to go up?
1: Uh, it all filters through me, but you know, I trust all these guys, and you know, they'll say, "Hey, I've got an idea for such and such," and we'll go back and forth. And uh, again, I try to bring in all the people that you know have ended up contributing to Aquarium Drunkard um, have become pals. And again, it's a very small stable of people that are doing this, but you know, I try to find people that. Um, you know, are better writers than me, better communicators, better interviewers, whatever. Just to elevate, um, you know, the quality of what we're doing. Right. Our tagline is only the good shit. So, you know.
0: So when so you guys don't feel beholden then to like uh, someone buys an ad on the no. blog or to write about the whatever press release you get. Like there's no. there's none of that sort of thing because I feel like there's there seems to be just. A lack of outlets out there for uh, music journalism, right? And what you do see is is you see Pitchfork and you see Stereo Gum and you see Noisy and you see these places, and they're all kind of covering the same thing. If you look at like what they repost on Twitter or whatever, it's a lot of it's like the same stuff because it's just these are these press releases that go out, right? And so when when those go out, you get you get the same stuff. Over and over and over right. again, you know and and you think of the internet as this vast universe, and that it should be wide open, but it seems like there's even less places now to like discover new music because these places are also now like they 're writing about like Drake and Kanye West and things like that that right. like, if I had cable, I could find out about it
1: yeah you know it's it's uh, you know I, I it's great when um Aquarium drunkard happens to be in line with the zeitgeist and, you know, whatever's happening or trendy or whatever. But there have been many years when we have not. We just keep doing what we do. But, you know, sometimes that stuff does fall in line with, you know, with our interest. But sometimes it doesn't.
0: Right. (laughs) And so how do you, do you have like, how do you pay for all this stuff to happen then? How do you get money to run the website? Is it through ads or is it? yeah we have ads,
1: but you know uh, I also have a million other jobs too. We so. talked about that earlier, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do uh music supervision I do uh obviously the Sirius radio show uh we have the record label autumn tone right um and a host of other things, so it's you know it was we've talked about before it's if you're working in music, you have to wear a lot of hats just to, just to play the have bills a fucking these
0: podcast and a guitar there you go. <laughs> so, do you want to talk about? I mean, that's, and I, I, we talked about it before we got on the air here, but I mean, it's like to do a radio show and to do a blog like Aquarium Drunkard and to run a record label and to do music supervision. Like, that's like all of those used to be, well, before blogs, but you would consider that like a full time job. Right. For, and you have four of them. Right. So,
1: when did the label start? The first record we put out was in 2006. There's this dude named Daniel Hutchins who's actually from Athens, Georgia. We were talking about earlier. I, I loved his band when I lived there in the 90s called Blood and This was his first solo record. And I don't, we're probably on our – I think we put out about 26 records now. We've got four coming out right later this year. Um, about three years after that, uh, Scott Simino came on board to the label – and it was just getting too big to you know, handle this effectively by myself. So,
0: But you're pretty selective like to put out 26 records in this amount of time. Sure. You're not Nine trying years. to like meet fucking release dates or whatever. No, like.
1: no. I, I mean, it's, it's the same uh, you know, thought that goes behind Aquarium Drunkard. Like, we're only writing about, talking about, uh, playing on the radio, stuff that we're genuinely interested in. And it goes the same for Autumn Tone. You know, we might put out uh, two records a year, we might put out six. It just depends. And like Aquarium Drucker, it skews all genres. Uh,
0: the width and breadth of it is, is, you know, pretty deep. Yeah. And you put, but you put out like the Orwells. Right. And that, and Twin Peaks. Yeah. Which is kind of seems, as far as the uh, roster of artists that you have, like sort of skews to a younger crowd or what like how did you how did you find those guys like i know they're both from chicago
1: yeah um i guess when it comes to to mu- new music i guess i'm more drawn to uh garage and punk and that orwell's they had hit me up i think it was 2011 and they were still in high school they were sophomores and juniors and they sent me this record they'd recorded in their basement and uh i listened to it i remember it was over the holidays and was just blown away and uh, we got in touch with them, ended up reissuing it properly. They'd put it on Bandcamp. When um, we took them to South by Southwest, and that just kind of... Uh, it really caught on. And then they ended up uh, signing a different label deal with... Uh, they're on Atlantic now. Twin Peaks, uh, I met through the Orwells, and we ended up doing their debut probably a year after that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And the Orwells found... How did
1: they find you? They, they're... Uh, Matt, who's the guitarist, his brother is Eddie O'Keefe, who's a filmmaker here in L.A. Okay, and he knew Aquarium Drunkard, and he, uh, I guess, told his his brother, "Hey, you should reach out, you know, to X, Y, and Z publications and try to see if you can get some, some press going behind your record."
0: I remember we played uh, uh, my band play, played one of your showcases in New York at CMJ. Yeah, the CMJ. We, we opened for a young Courtney Barnett.
1: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That was her first uh, American gig, by the way. Really?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we played Courtney Barnett's first American gig. It's funny because uh, you know I see her all, all around all the time now, and I'm sure. and I'm trying to get my shit taken down off the internet. But uh, <laughs> no, was, all I, I mean I remember I remember. It's funny. I remember that show, and I remember that there wasn't any drums, and we were scrambling trying to figure out right. drums, and then she played, and I was like. And she was very sweet, and the, her whole band was super nice. I don't know if it's the same band now that she has or not, or what she does. I think
1: it might be a different different outfit behind her now.
0: Yeah, nice Australian guys, nonetheless. Uh, and she played, and I just remember thinking, like, oh man, th- this girl's gonna be huge. Like, as if, not necessarily like my type of music, but right. you could tell, like, wow, this, this person's gonna be like pretty pretty big. Yeah, you know, just t- just the way she was, you know. And then, uh, and then uh, I got an email from Steven Brower, just sort of asking, telling me about how he was starting the Easy Sound. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, you got to sign this Courtney Barnett girl, right? Just saw her. I, she's going to be huge."
1: Yeah, because we had we had <laughs> booked her for that uh, Aquarium Drunkard CMJ Showcase just based on uh, you know those two self released EPs that she had put out. Right. That um, I didn't know anything else about her. We had her on at like you know it was seven. She was at the seven o'clock you know, slot at the beginning of the night. Right. Because um, in the the bands that we had on there, she was the most unknown. So here we are, what, two, three years later. and
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I know. And it was her thing. Yeah, it was crazy because we were just like, we were like, wow, I can't believe. I mean, she's amazing, but I was like, I can't believe we're playing this show. With It's just such a weird, sh-. but it ended up being like your show at CMJ probably was like uh, outside. We played like a death by audio show that uh-huh. was like a bunch of like, Punk rockers and was right. rad and killer and the basement flooded and everyone had to leave and that was great. But like your show was like kind of the most fun in a way because it was like the most like diverse and everyone was really fucking different and really weird, but really good, which is I feel like is part of what the blog is about, you know? Sure. It's just like there's no real I don't know what I'm trying to say here. There's an, it's, it's not it, you said it best earlier. You said there's no like it's just good shit. It doesn't really matter if it's like heavy metal or punk or like folk or like weird calypso music or sure. wherever it's from or whatever it is. As long as it's is it, is, it, is, it, is it it's impactful somehow.
1: Yeah, and if I had to you know think about any kind of whatever influenced me to to look at music that way, I guess it would be you know early 90s College radio back then, you know, it was freeform. You know, you would hear the guy go from Fugazi into Ornette Coleman. Right, and uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if uh, if that's so much the case anymore. Did you ever do college radio?
0: I never did. No, no. I I did it at a uh, like a trade school when yeah. I was in high school. <laughs> nice. And they, the rules were they had come up with some rule that like you could only play alternative music okay that was the deal like you couldn't play anything but alternative music right so no heavy metal no punk no classic rock right alternative music so what fell into i'm just curious what fell into that descriptor back
1: then everything from like the smashing pumpkins to pavement and jesus lizard i think or? those
0: would have all counted as alternative music i remember i played alice cooper song one time and they got mad because it was not considered alternative music i think i played i'm 18 oh. on a and it was all run on uh carts like eight tracks uh-huh. you know back in the day you used to stick these like carts in the thing and they were they were not happy with alice cooper it wasn't considered alternative. <laughs> it, it wasn't cool, man. I don't even think it was. I don't, I don't even think it was cool. It was. It was that this. It was a really small town, right? And it's a trade school, so it's like there's a guy down the hall like chopping his hand off with a bandsaw <laughs> or something, right. you know. And I'm over here like listening to Alice Cooper, and I'm like 15 or whatever. And I think what they had done was they had convinced the parents of the community that like. Heavy metal maybe is a little too much or whatever. Like there's curse words or whatever. But if you like alternative music, if you listen to like a Smashing Pumpkins song, you're not there's there's no Satan in there. Like right. a, it's just it's like a lot of you know distortion and reverb and it sounds cool or whatever. But they're not like they're not putting like makeup on and like burning churches. You know what I mean? Like
1: yeah, yeah. No, I it's, yeah. Again, we're talking about. <laughs> That's alternative. Uh, yeah. Well, that, that again, that was uh, a time when Rolling Stone was running pieces about, you know, guys blowing their heads off with shotguns listening to, like, an Aussie record or whatever. So, yeah, it's a very different... Dream different, deceivers. Different time back then. Yeah, and you know?
0: it, it's funny how it's changed now. And, and, and now it's like, like there's nothing that's, like, going to shock you and I no. if we, you know... I mean, I don't know. You have kids, right? Yeah, I've got Collier. He is two and a half. And what do you like it, what does he listen to?
1: He uh man, his favorite song right now, he calls it the Dun Dun Dunda dun, dun, dun song, which is uh Jefferson Airplane White Rabbit. Oh that's you mean. know, the baseline the dun, dun 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 So that's his favorite jam right now. He really likes That song's uh, kinda scary though. It is. It is. It it's definitely got this kind of weird They
0: use that song in every movie whenever someone takes drugs. Yeah,
1: platoon, great example. Exactly. Yeah. Um he likes that. He likes um he really likes that Steam song. Na
0: na 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 hey hey hey. Oh, I don't know that. Steam is
1: the band? The, the name of the band is Steam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I
0: had no idea that was Steam.
1: Yeah, so those are his two uh his two favorite songs right now.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Uh you mentioned uh the uh, platoon thing. Um so you are also doing music supervision mm-hmm. as another one of you also had a Stetson hat, but this is another hat that you wear yes. as a job. Yes. Um, uh, can you talk about that? Because that White Rabbit song is perfect in so many films. Can you talk about how when you're doing music supervision you you know th- how how much of your tastes and ideas play into that? Because we've had we've we've done a we've done a segment on music supervision on the show before uh-huh. with Tiffany Anders. Uh-huh. And, you know, what, we've, what we kind of learn is that it's a lot of just paperwork and a lot of, like... Sure, the clearance. Just trying to meet people's demands as right. opposed to, like, what you want it to be, which is, like, this creative, like, I'm going to fucking right. make people feel this certain way through the music of, of, of the film.
1: Well, you know, again, I'm, I've, I've done three features. Um, they've all been very different. Um, and they've all been indies. So, you know, you're in a sense handicapped by small budgets for the music when you're not working on, you know, these huge... Well, that could
0: be a good thing too, though.
1: Yeah, it it has its... Uh, you know, there's definite checks and balances. But so, yeah, you obviously... It has to serve the scene, but then um, you also have to be able to afford the rights to these songs. So, um, you know, on the on the indie level, a lot of it is, you know trying to find music that both works and you can afford and, you know, calling in favors. Um, Now on the, on the commercial side, you know, there's more of a budget, but then obviously um, that's a whole, whole different bag.
0: Yeah. Because they want something, I guess, commercially that they want something that is going to be immediate and recognizable, which is like why if there's a hamburger, there's like a George Thorogood.
1: Sure, but sometimes they can get. Uh, there was a great Southern Comfort commercial two summers ago. Do you remember this? It was the guy walking down the beach, and there, there was an Odetta song.
0: Oh no! I, it was I, great. I,
1: this this music supervisor named Andrew Kahn did it, and it was it was one of those rare instances where you see this commercial, and you can tell that they put a lot of thought into the music, and it worked perfectly. So there are sometimes there are those those nice magical
0: moments where. Commerce and art meet. Sure, <laughs> and do you try to like? Do you try to like sneak a bunch of stuff in there when you give someone like a, a, a grouping of songs? Do you try to sneak in like some ones that you really want? Like when yeah. you like when you go to the store to buy condoms, but you like get like a Sprite, sure, and some other stuff, too? yeah. Offshoot
1: it. <laughs> no, I mean because sometimes can those outlier songs that maybe they don't think they want, those will be some of the ones that it's like, oh, I didn't think this would work in this spot, but this this is really interesting. And
0: so then, you get hired to do music supervision. How did you start doing that? Did you start doing it through the blog like someone found you or you
1: yeah the the blog it's kind of a i don't know I mean, it's, it's a, a great resume to have it, I was about to say it's almost kind of a living breathing resume so uh you know if that's if you are a filmmaker or you work for an ad agency or whatnot, and you're looking for someone. With the you know the the sensibility of aquarium drunkard it it kind of gives you uh, an immediate reference point um, of what i can quote unquote bring to the table in that realm
0: and because we talk about this on this show sometimes a, a lot of times uh just about you know people want to work in the music industry young people want to work in the music industry you know that's that's a lot of people's dream job sure. is to, until you until you work in the music industry <laughs> uh, but uh you know it, and, and what we what we kind of figured out is that you have to do certain things on your own these days, especially. Um, like start a blog and, and, or, or start something that, that means a lot to you that sure. you care about. And then that way it's going to motivate you to continue to do it as opposed to like, trying to start something to meet other people's demands. But it is such an interesting thing to think that you, know, you started this thing just to, to showcase music that you like. And then people are now coming to you to help them with their realizing their ideas. And is that the same way that happened with the the radio show? Because you have a show on Sirius and XM radio.
1: Uh, That, oh, man, I've been doing that eight and a half years now, which, again, I've been thinking a lot about Aquarium Drunker turning 10 this summer and a decade. That's such a big chunk of time when you start thinking about it. But, yeah, the radio show, they hit me up, you know, a couple years after the blog started and said, listen, we're going to have a, a small group of folks that are going to be doing these specialty shows and it's going to kind of be be based around people with blogs and would you want to do one and say like it'll be a two-hour show you can play whatever you want and it's on the you know the quote-unquote indie rock channel it's serious xmu but um my producer rob cross is great like he you know there's no boundaries of you know what i can or cannot play just
0: alternative music it's not just alt rock
1: um but, uh, yeah, again, that that's something that came out of, you know, starting
0: this blog on a whim, you know. And, and so wh- where do you record it at? Like, um, I know Sirius is obviously, like, it's a satellite sort of thing, but do they have studios all over? Like, because you're here in L.A. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm just
1: doing it out of Echo Park. But, yeah, they, um, you know, they're based in... New York City and then when you know XM and Sirius merged several years ago so they still have a campus in DC but um yeah for the, the stuff that we're doing or these specialty shows we're recording them on our own um, and obviously with technology today that
0: just involves a USB mic into a MacBook sure what we're doing right now basically sure. um, but uh and, and you don't have any sort of guidelines for that show you just you just bring in whatever you want that week
1: Yes, yeah, so like uh, it's on today. Like, right. Um, today there was a lot of um, post-punk, old new wave. I mean, it kind of skewed that way. Um, whereas the week before it was, you know, like a lot of kind of outsider blues and gospel and, uh, you know, private press funk music from the 70s. So it really just depends on... You know, like you, whatever you feel like listening to that day, that's kind of what the, the radio show... If, if I was to say there's a guideline, it's just what I happen to be listening to that week and what I want to spend two hours putting essentially a mixtape together for.
0: Crazy. Uh, <laughs> and just winding down here, because because we, we talked about this uh, at the beginning, and, and, and now you're also working with Mark Mothersbaugh. Right. Doing in what capacity?
1: Uh, so Mark started about 20 years ago a company called Mutato. Sure. And uh, this is his company of composers. You know, He does uh, you know, the Wes Anderson films. He does all of that kind of stuff. But you know, they also do um, branded stuff for commercials. So they've brought me in as uh, the Mutato music supervisor in terms of you know, doing the music supervision when they're using you know, licensed songs. Uh, so we partnered in January. And so in, in, is
0: it like an office situation? You go in there and...
1: No, they're over in Hollywood but it's just something where, you know, we will meet, but I don't have to go in there and, you know, clock in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to punch in and sit around at a table with everybody. Right. Um, Well, shit, I mean, it's crazy to talk to you because I just, to think about all of, doing all these different things at once, and then you're you're also just, you're putting on shows you want to talk about. um, I think when this show goes up, it'll be next Tuesday, most likely, and you have on August first, uh, the ten year anniversary. Right. for the Aquarium Drunkard. Yeah,
1: that's going to be August first at the Telegram Ballroom, which is that new room downtown.
0: Right. It's a lot. Did you go to that uh, television show? Was there? Correct? No, I, w- I was in
1: Mexico. I heard it was fantastic. Yeah.
0: I didn't go either. I, from what I heard though, people said that it sounded amazing. Yeah. there. And that they have really no, the good rooms. Sound the system. rooms great. Yeah, you've been there then. I
1: have. Yeah. It's uh, It was the guys that started um, the Music Hall of Williamsburg, Bowery Ballroom, and Mercury Lounge in New York. So it's the same group. Uh, this is their first L.A. room. Gotcha.
0: And yeah. so you've worked with them before because that's where we played that showcase Yeah, the Mercury have done Lounge. we've done a lot of stuff in New York with them over the years. Right. So so what's the, tell us about it. I, I cut you off there, but tell us about the 10, 10th anniversary party. Yeah, it's going to
1: be the Alalaz, the Tide, and uh, this new band called Drug Cabin.
0: Uh, that's uh, Nate from... Pretty Girls Makes Graves. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. And it and it's when? August 1st? It's going to be Saturday, August 1st. All right. Wow. Cool. Well, can just people go to it? They, they, can they get tickets buy, online? Buy a ticket. Buy a ticket? Yeah. I think there's about 50
1: tickets left.
0: Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So go buy a ticket on aquariumdrunkard.com. Yep. To go to the 10th anniversary show. I mean, I think that's it. Is there anything else that you that you want to hit me to since that's what you do? Hmm... Just my hat. I like the hat. He has a really nice Stetson hat. The open road. That's the brand of the hat? Nah, it's just... Or that's the model. That's
1: what they call it, yeah. It's a good hat.
0: It's a good hat. Well, thanks, Justin. You bet, man. That was fun. Thanks for coming in. Cheers. Bye. All right, that was Justin Gage be sure to head over to www.aquariumdrunker.com check out his blog tons of I, I mean the wealth of music on there is mind boggling and has been for 10 years now which he's celebrating so go over there if you're in LA check it out go to the show August 1st Terragram Ballroom a la laws, drug cabin and the tide are playing like you said there's only 50 tickets left by the time you hear this there will probably be zero tickets left I can't do anything about that, man. That's just the magic of radio, and that's the magic of you people for listening. Thank you so much. I'm Jed, not Banger. I'll see you next week. Peace. As always, I always forget this part. We're brought to you by Green Street. We're recorded here in downtown, beautiful Los Angeles. I guess it's not downtown; it's mid Wilshire, whatever you want to call it. Green Street. We're uh, at the at the. What, what's what's this? Is not a pipe that's who funds us Jessica Hunley is the producer Nicholas Fahey is the engineer what's that huh anyways you guys know the deal see you next time